Hello, listeners, and we are back with something that has been a long time coming. Today, we are going to be talking about the Neutral Heroes Box 2, one of my absolute favorite releases that I've been waiting to just unveil for quite a long time. Uh, and it's funny, because we are moving toward the end of 2019 here. And frankly, while this is one of the most exciting releases that I believe we're going to have, it is almost going to be completely overshadowed by the raw amount of just cool, awesome stuff that is going to be coming out not only this month, but next month and in January. So it's kind of bittersweet to me because I am a big fan of the neutral faction in House Bolton. And this is definitely a nice supplementary release for not only them, but every single faction. But there's just so much cool stuff that's going to be coming out. We have the Baratheons that are going to be coming out soon. We have the Targaryens in January. And we have some very cool updates coming in December that I'm actually more excited about than I am anything else. But we have a lot to cover today because there is a lot to go over in this box, ranging from NCUs to new commanders, attachments, just something for every single army out there, except for you free folk guys, because you guys have no coin beyond the wall. But you guys have your own cool stuff. So we have a lot to cover. We're going to get into it. I'm going to go ahead and get the sponsorship ad out of the way early here, so I don't have to do that during mid-roll. But because they pay the bills, we are back to giving a shout out to Totino's Pizza Rolls. This time they're getting us to push their new, oh my god, seriously, Ranch Blasted Crust Pepperoni Rolls. Eat this if you have no respect for your own body. They pay me to mention them. They don't pay me to actually, you know, like them. Okay, let's actually talk about something I do like, and that is the Neutral Hero Box 2. Let's go ahead and start with the NCUs that are in this box because, well, there's going to be a lot to talk about just in here. We've got three new NCUs in this box. The first one is going to be Tycho Nestorias of the Iron Bank. He's a four-cost NCU and has backing of the Iron Bank. Once per game, at the start of any turn, you may restore up to five wounds total across any number of friendly combat units. This guy here is actually probably my favorite guy in the box, just because of the type of player I am. I like a lot of utility. I like a lot of just kind of toolbox nature, which is why I'm drawn to the neutral faction. And Tycho really accentuates that. Because he's going to give you at any time, well, start of a turn, five wounds that you can spread across what you want. Now, most of the time, you're going to probably dump these in a unit. But the thing that you need to consider with him is that you don't always need to do that because it's just five wounds across any number that you want. So it's really good for topping off ranks of missing units if your guys are taking a lot of chip damage throughout. I know a lot of the times people are going to see that one unit that they really just want to like, oh, I've got to save these guys. And they're going to dump all five wounds into that. And that's fine. Honestly, that's most of the time. That's how you're probably going to use them. But if that unit only needs three wounds to get back up to a rank, Give them three wounds. Use those two other wounds elsewhere. You know, if you can get multiple units brought up to combat capabilities of him, then that's going to be the best use of him. Uh, I really like him, though, because of the surprise tactics that he allows you to play. You can recover from a devastating attack and get the good counterattack in, you know, if your rank's restored. Another use for him is deterring enemies from necessarily making... Uh, a targeted play. And what I mean by that is you can use them at the start of the opponent's turn and say there was a unit that, you know, oh, they're probably going to try to attack and finish them off. One that's sitting on an objective or one that, you know, is potentially going to charge them or whatnot. You know that they are probably going to be targeting them. You could just Tycho them, boom, bump them up five wounds. Five wounds is a lot for some units to deal with, given the fact that obviously your unit is not going to be nearly dead. So let's say they've got four, you know, guys left. 
just a single rank, usually an easy target. You stick five wounds back on there, all of a sudden they're up to having nine wounds back, and that's a lot for most combat units to be able to just throw out there. So that means it's going to be an extra attack, an extra activation, extra resources that your opponent is going to have to dedicate to taking that unit out. And I really just like the flexibility that Tycho brings. Uh, again, he's probably one of my favorite NCUs for that reason, but that's just given my nature. I like having an answer to a lot of problems. I like having a toolbox approach for things. Tycho is going to, you know, just give me that option. I know that there are some other NCUs that you can get continuous use out of uh, at the same point cost, but with him, I really feel that you just having a pocket clutch five heal, if you know how to use it properly, you know, that's really going to do you a lot of favors. Walder Frey, Lord of the Crossings. Oh man, the meta shifter. So the thing about him is that I can, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about him because if you exist on the internet, you're going to hear a lot about him one way or another. Um, Walder is one of those potentially meta-defining units in people's minds. I'm not going to ever deny that his effect is not powerful, which by the way, it's influence. Um, when he influences the unit, you deal that unit one wound. And if you were the first player, or if you control the crown zone, the influence unit and its attachments lose all abilities. So he's basically a big no button and an instant wound. Okay, this is a bunch of nice effects at a hefty point cost of five. Um, which, you know, that one point does matter in a lot of armies. And it's going to matter even more just moving forward in the future. You know, you're not going to be able to include all the fun toys that you want. The thing about Walder is that he suffers from one of those things where players are going to just always assume that it's going to work out for them. They're always going to assume they're going to get what they want. And that's kind of a mentality that, I mean, it dates back as far as any type of competitive games go. I guess I just remember seeing a lot back in the old Upper Deck days when we were doing like the Pro Tour with a Versus System, Yu-Gi-Oh! and things like that, where you just always assume that your plan is never going to work out in any way, shape, or form, and that your opponent's is always going to just work out the way they want. It almost seems like it's reversed in some situations here where people just look at this and go like, oh man, that's super powerful. I'm just going to be dealing auto wounds left and right to solos, and I'm always going to be first player, and I'm always going to have the crown. And, well, you're not. And the thing is, this is one of those cards that if you see it across from you, if you see that someone is running Walter, you need to adjust for that. And that's kind of a mentality that I notice separates a lot of the what I would consider the top tier players from kind of the mid tier and definitely the low tier is a lack of willingness to change their plans based on what their opponent has. And that should be self-evident. you know, evident. But what I mean by that is you'll have player mentality where they come into the game with their battle plan. And regardless of what their opponent does or what their opponent has or any other you know, variables, they are going to stick to that plan. And they're not going to change it at all. That only carries you so far, because if someone is willing to adapt and change their strategy, they're probably going to win that game, versus the person who is just, I'm going to hammer this strategy into the wall, and if the wall is harder than me, well, crap, I lost, and I, there's nothing I could have done about it. That's a mentality that I also really dislike, but unfortunately, it's fairly common in any type of competitive games. I mean, again, I've played tons in different formats over the years, and that's one of the key things I actually can see that if you want to advance yourself as a player, you have to learn to adapt. Okay, If you're going into the same uh, the game every single time with the same strategy and just trying to force it, well, that'll get you far until it doesn't. It's only going to get you far against certain type of opponents. That's how I feel about Walder. But why would I run Walder? Because he's a big note button.
If you like control elements, like if you're a neutral player by heart, if you're a Lannister player, Walder's going to fit right into how you play. He's another one of those units I really like the, uh, just again, the play style that he provides. Starks, he's going to give you a good amount of actually counterplay that your army tends to be lacking, uh, which is going to be a nice addition if you want to run something like a Stark control list. I can definitely see this guy being paired up with Howland Reed to just create a living nightmare of your opponent of just bad situations and bad options. Now, uh, Night's Watch, the thing is, is that things outside of the faction, they are kind of a mixed bag for Night's Watch because they like to play internally. I mean, Walder is going to want to control the crown zone and be first player. First player, okay, you're going to have that every other time. With the crown zone, you're going to have a few key cards in your faction that function off of that because your vows are spread across, uh, you know, all five of the tactic zones. But you're going to be kind of moving to a dedicated need for that. And that's where it's, you know, okay, maybe he's not the best option to throw in there. Now, if you're com uh, comboing him in there with, say, Littlefinger, who can take the crown, replace that with another effect, or, you know, Jorah Mormont, where you can just take him and you count as controlling all zones for, you know, your vow purposes, then there's some options there. But the thing to remember is that Walder alone is not going to carry a game for you. It'll help you, definitely, as a five-point investment needs to. But he's not going to carry the game. And if you're throwing him in there just because you go, oh man, he's really strong, and ignoring if he actually synergizes with your list or gives it any benefit that you know, it could, you couldn't be found elsewhere, like a four-point NCU and a one-point attachment or a three-point NCU and a two-point attachment, then you need to consider. Because, again, while he's nasty, he's not going to determine games on his own, assuming you're against a player that, you know, actually doesn't just let him do that. It's scare tactics. It's the same thing with, like, Varus. Varus can be effective, but the biggest benefit for him is going to be the mental uh, issues that it causes your opponents. They're like, oh, I'm not going to make this play because I might fail it. Okay, well, now there's a 100% chance you're going to fail that play because you never did it. This is also my tip for Varus, is that just play like he's not there, and, you know, that's how it works out. Moving on to our next and final NCU in this box, we have Jakin Hagar, follower of the Red God. Uh, five points. Noting, by the way, we actually got some comments on this that people go like, oh, but he's a follower of the Miniface God, not the Red God. And I thought, well, actually, <laughs> since you want to play this game, actually... Go back and check your source materials because he mentions that he, uh, that Arya stole lives from the Red God when he first showed up. Now there's some debate whether that was him saying that because the company he was with at the time, or because those books were written before the rest of that was fleshed out, and maybe George Martin just kind of changed it. I don't know. You know, there's a bunch of different options here, and frankly, I'm not going to theory craft that, but I will just mention that at the time, he mentioned that he was a follower of the Red God. You can actually source that on the Song of Ice and Fire Wikipedia page. But we got a number of like comments and a couple emails about that. And, you know, sorry. Learn your lore, guys. Anyway, choosing a name. When Jockin claims a zone on the tactics board, you may target an enemy infantry unit and roll a die. If Jockin claimed the combat zone, you may re-roll this die. On a 1, no effect. On a 2 through 4, deal that unit 1 wound. On a 5... Deal that unit one wound, or kill one non-character attachment in that unit. And on a six, kill any one model in that unit. This is your assassin guy. Another option here, where he can just kind of deal like little chip damage to, you know, units, and that's fine. But really, you're hoping to take this guy to just assassinate those, you know, power attachments here. Again, coming in at a big point cost of five, you've got to build around him and kind of a strategy that you have going for it. 
Now, there's something to be said about taking a Jockin Walder list where you're actually doing like two points of chip damage, you know, theoretically, uh, anytime you're using these guys. But you're investing 10 points to be potentially dealing two wounds around and maybe with the chance of like shutting off the unit and, you know, cutting all their stuff. Basically, if things work out, yeah, you're going to cripple a unit really badly, but you're spending 10 points to do that. So it needs to be doing something like that. Now, with uh, Jackin, he is going to see a rise in play, basically depending on if the he's one of those meta, you know, uh, reliant guys. If you see a meta where lots of people are taking characters, where people are taking a ton of attachments, which is actually kind of how the game has been since its existence. You have these two camps, these people that load out every unit of attachments, and there's some that just don't take any at all. I actually feel with the updates and everything in 1.4 or 1.5, you're going to see kind of like that middle ground shift, which is actually where I'd prefer to see you uh, see the game being. But Jacken here, you know, he's going to give you options to removing those problematic guys. Say, you know, you're up against a Lannister army that's spamming a bunch of guards and guard captains. Well, we all know how much of a pain guard captains can be. Jockin here has a 33% chance that he can just go and kill the guy in that unit. More if you take the combat zone and get your reroll in. But still, that's a 1 in 3 chance to just take out that attachment. And all of a sudden, those guardsmen, they're not so fearless anymore. And, you know, with a rise of potentially seeing um, higher cost of attachments that aren't necessarily characters. I'm not saying any spoilers there. It's just that, guys, this is a point-based game and algorithms exist. So, you know, go figure. There might be two, three-point guys that aren't characters. There's no rules. Um, you know, you're going to see him kind of jump up and down and play. Uh, it's another one of those guys that you need to kind of prepare to, if you see him across the table. Not as much as Walder, unless you have an NCU. I'm sorry, unless you have an attachment that is really vital to your plan. And some of the commanders can be because, you know, they've got some field commanders that really don't want to die. That really need to like stay alive to give you some buffs. Uh, Renly Baratheon being one of them, Eddard Stark. Your big charismatic style characters that really make the battle about them. That's the type of guy that you know you don't want to have jackined. Um, but it might happen, so you need to plan around that. Which is funny because his attachment. Uh, nope, we're getting into some ahead of ourselves there. So moving into the next part of this, let's go ahead and talk about the two commanders that are featured in this box. The first one is going to be Vargo Holt, the Goat of Harrenhal. And he is uh, his commander card is going to come with two innate abilities. Um, sorry, I used the word innate. Two abilities that are not innate. Affiliation, Bloody Mummers. This unit counts as a Bloody Mummer unit. Okay, cool. This tactics card's key off that. And Intimidating. When this unit activates, one enemy within long range becomes weakened. So we have that. We've seen that before on Tywin, and we've seen that on the uh, Chosen of Styre for the Free Folk. So when running Vargo, you can run him across any faction and, you know, of course, put him in the neutral deck. Now, my personal options would be to throw him into either the neutral deck and run pure neutrals or make him run as um, Lannister for the weakened buffs. Now, having said that as well, Baratheons can make use of this uh, to an exceedingly large degree. Night's Watch, kind of not really. And Starks, well, if you want to run a different kind of Stark playstyle, yes, but it is not fully supported with what you have out. Now, obviously, he's got cards here that trigger off of uh, being engaged with or giving benefits to Bloody Mummers, of which we have released exactly zero. Guys, I know it might be end of the world here, and you might you know, never have seen this coming, but... 
there's going to be bloody mummer units you know a few of them coming out so we can actually do more of a deep dive on him when those guys are closer to release and you see what they do but you can actually read his tactics cards and kind of gain some hints as to how that playstyle goes speaking of his tactics cards are as follows the crippler's infamy when a weakened enemy combat unit activates that enemy suffers a panic test before they roll you may expend their weakened token if you do that enemy must roll one additional die and discard the highest result so this is basically you know if an enemy is weakened you're going to be able to just shunt that into being a panic test um with a well sorry you're actually not using the token for that they're just going to suffer a panic test you can expend the token to make it a harder test for them to pass this is nice because there's a few ways in the game precious few to actually just cause a panic test on a unit you got the crown and then outside of that you've got combat and then whatever scattering of cards you have now you can see the natural synergies here of lannister because they're all about the panic manipulation here so this is already going to have a built-in benefit uh, in addition to this, you know, you're going to have ways in the Lannister army, Pycelle immediately comes to mind, that you're going to be able to throw out tokens onto units. And actually, as time goes on, you'll see even more ways to throw out tokens, you know, but uh, we're not going to get into that. So this is going to naturally synergize with a lot of the Lannister tactics. Go figure as well, Vargo, you know, was hired by Tywin himself to, you know, um, take care of some business and, well, not carve off Jamie's hand. But anyway... Um, so you have that going for you. Now, Starks, as I mentioned, this card is going to cause panic tests, which they're kind of whatever about. I can see you running him with, like, Howland Reed if you want to run just some, like, a debuff-style army, but otherwise, eh, there are other places and better options. Night's Watch, whatever. Uh, Baratheons, again, they play with some token manipulation, which I know is mainly regulated to Stannis, and you're not going to be running Stannis and Virgo as both commanders. But this does open up a playstyle ability of some other units that potentially come out, you know, uh, Stannis guys specifically, that might have some synergies you'll see here. But again, primo choice is going to be for Lannisters. Next card here, we have Remorseless Assault. When a friendly unit attacks before attack dice are rolled, expend a weakened token from the defender. That attack rolls plus two dice and gains Sundering. If the attacker is a Bloody Mummer unit, it also rolls its highest attack die value. This is going to be a generic buff, plus two dice and sundering is good for just everybody. And of course, you know, you're going to have to expend a weakened token to do that, but hey, you've got your commander going and throwing this out. This is one of those generically useful cards, like our blades are sharp for, you know, Ramsey and the Boltons, that, you know, it's just good, okay? I mean, I can't really say anything. It synergizes super well with the commander. This is going to be one of his key cards, and whenever you draw, you're going to go like, yes, I get to kill something, and that's all there is to it. Next one, Mummer's Tricks. Start of any turn. Target and engage enemy combat unit. That enemy must pass a morale test or become vulnerable and weakened. If they're engaged with a bloody mummer unit, they suffer minus two to their roll. This is going to be one of your cards that's going to help you generate out more tokens. So you have his innate ability already, which I keep using that word, and again, I don't want someone to read this, or sorry, listen to this and go like, well, he keeps calling it innate. That means there's probably going to be an errata on it or something. Listen, if you're one of those types, I want you to understand something. I don't like you. And, you know, I'm not actually contractually or really held to any account to say I like you, so I'm going to make that very vocal here, okay? For everyone else out there who's a decent, reasonable person, going back to the card, this is actually my favorite of his cards. Um, yes, you have to target an engage unit, but I want you to understand that's start of any turn. So, literally, you can charge a guy, and then on the enemy's turn, just play the card. 
And if it's Vargo's unit, congrats, they're getting minus two to the roll. If it's one of the many other, I'm not going to say many other, one of the other um, Bloody Mummer units that will be released, then minus two. And frankly, making an enemy vulnerable and weakened is just universally good. You're going to cripple their offense. You're going to cripple their defense. Go figure. You're playing a guy whose nickname is the Crippler. So, you know, you got that going for you. But this is my favorite card, and again, we're kind of getting back to that whole thing of I really like utility. Tokens are like the definition of utility in this game. And Vulnerable and Weakened, you know, are your two best ones. Well, I'm not going to say your best ones. The one you're missing here is Panic. But the thing is, is that if you play him in the right faction, which, again, Lannisters, you're going to have means of throwing out Panic. If you throw him in specific Baratheons lists, you're going to be able to throw out Panic. If you're going to play him in just pure neutrals, you are definitely going to have a bunch of options to be able to throw out Panic just because of how they manipulate tokens and everything. So that's what I've got to say there. You've got those options. Moving on to the next commander in there, we have Dario Naharez, the Stormcrow Captain. Now, <laughs> Dario here is all about the money and all about making just big, reckless plays. And so if you've got kind of that, um, you know... Uh, what's that term? Not devil to the wind or care to the wind or whatever. That one where you're just like, I don't care. I'm just going to have this happen. I don't care what happens to me. This is going to be the play style for you. It's a lot of fun. It's kind of kamikaze in that regard. But again, it's fun. So he has two abilities on his card. Affiliation Stormcrows. This unit counts as a Stormcrow unit. Loyalty through coin. While you control the wealth zone, this unit gains plus one to defense save rolls. Never suffers penalties of morale. And enemies cannot expend panic tokens from it. So here's your boy. He likes to pair up with Braum. He likes to pair up with Stormcrow lieutenants. These guys, uh, Stormcrows, are out in parts of the world this week and everything. So I'm not even going to bother like trying to like go, ooh, you'll never know. You got Stormcrow archers. You got Stormcrow mercenaries. And we've already not talked about, but we already know that Stormcrow dervishes are on the horizon at some point in the future. Stormcrow mercs, um, archers, and swordsmen varieties. Uh get extra benefits from controlling the wealth zone specifically they get free attacks and they make guys cheaper the stormcrow lieutenant if you control the wealth zone the unit that he's in gets plus one die and sundering so dario here is all about oh yo dog i heard you like the money bag we're gonna just go ahead and crank that up to 11 so if you're running dario littlefinger is already like one of your just primo choices right there because you can take that replace it with some other effect that you want and then boom you control it Noting, by the way, that both versions of Stormcrow have a built-in replacement effect where they get a free attack. So even if you don't want to run like, you know, Peter Baelish there, you still have the options. But anyway, let's go ahead and look at his tactics cards here and uh, just show what he is uh, bringing to the fight. So, oh, oh my, guys, I apologize here. My file just absolutely crashed on me that I had these open. And I'm not one for editing these, so I'm going to open that up again real quick. And just give you guys some filler here as we are going to go and talk about him. So with the Hero Box 2, uh, I mentioned that we have, you know, Braum in here as well. And I don't really want to go over him and Brienne too much because we have kind of already, like, talked about them because they were out in the Hand of the King pledge. So, you know, they've already been out. There's not really anything to spoil about them. We already know how they function. So the thing about Braum is that he's going to be the one that synergizes the best with Dario, because they both want the money back, they're both going to gain those benefits for having that. Um, now, the thing is, is that they really are really reliant on that, and most of uh, 
most of Dario's cards are also going to be reliant on that because that's going to be your kind of general theme right here is that you know he's going to give you a lot of benefits for controlling the wealth and for having Stormcrow units. Stormcrow units in general for running them, they're going to want the, that wealth spot. So that's going to be naturally what you're going to want in the entire um, in for your army. And a savvy opponent, if they take that, is going to get some counterplay against you. All right, so his tactics cards. First one is going to be Force March. At the start of the round, one friendly infantry unit may pivot and then make one free march action, and then becomes weakened. Okay, so I should have probably talked about this sooner. Armies that Dario really, really likes to lead. So with Lannister, they have a natural inclination for the wealth zone. So he's going to pair up pretty well with them. But note that you're going to be running a very aggressive Lannister list. And you already have the Mountain who can kind of do that. Dario is going to give you a different kind of play style. So if you want to run that like aggressive kind of panicky style, you know, Lannister stuff. Basically, if you want to run uh, Lannisters with less focus on control and more focus on combat, Dario is going to give you a second option next to the mountain. Starks. Starks absolutely love this guy because his Nate um, tactics cards synergize so well with their army. Now, the thing is, is that this is going to cause a shift in the Stark playstyle because, as I said, you're going to want to take that wealth zone, and that is not something that the Starks naturally do, but you're going to have to sacrifice either up the combat zone or the maneuver zone, or take three NCUs here, which you've got some cheap options to do so, and really capitalize on the benefits that Dario is bringing you. But I feel that those are all fine sacrificial choices that you can make to really gain the benefits that he's going to give you. And Force March here is one of those key examples, because the Starks are all about just innate mobility and just tactical manipulation of the battlefield as far as positioning goes. And Dario is going to give you just one more tool in the kit in the form of Force March here to make that happen. So think about this, where you've got Force March, start of the round, a friendly uh, infantry unit may pivot and then make a free march action. Yeah, they become weakened, but then you also have uh, you know gals like Arya, who's going to, you know, let you take a free maneuver action of a unit once per game. And then you've got Catelyn, who you can just throw on a unit. Hey, we took the maneuver zone. Guess what? They get to make a free, you know, maneuver, and I get to remove a condition token. Or, you know, Catelyn took the wealth zone, targeted a Stormcrow unit, and they instead replaced it with making an attack, and now they're no longer weakened because of Catelyn. You know, that's just so many synergies exist in there with them. Baratheons, that's another one that Dario is good to lead because he's going to give you some mobility tricks that, guess what, you don't have. You're slow as hell. So um, this is going to help you overcome that as well. Night's Watch, you guys are kind of spread across the tactics board, but they really like taking the wealth icon as well. So Dario is just a natural fit in there as well. I mean... Dario is just everybody's friend because, you know, when you like money, you're everybody's friend as long as they can pay you. I know it's a very brawn thing as well, but hey, mercenaries are mercenaries, right? Speaking of mercenaries, next card we have, Mercenaries Cunning. When an enemy would place a condition token on a friendly combat unit. Instead, that unit suffers one wound, and you may place that token on an enemy combat unit within short range of the targeted unit. If this was a Stormcrow unit, you place any condition token instead. This is just a cool little counterplay card. And I have a feeling that opponents are going to kind of forget that you have this card, and they're going to try something sneaky, and you're going to be even more sneakier on them, more cunning, if you will, and you know just throw it right back on them. 
there's not really a lot to talk about this card. I mean, there are some synergies, but this is just really a straight up counter card that is going to cause one of those like fear type of effects in your opponent where they're going to be like, oh man, maybe I shouldn't throw down condition tokens because they might bounce it back at me. This is one of those cards where the psychological aspect has the potential to really outweigh more of the card's actual value. Unlike the next card we have, which is Reckless Strikes, uh, when a unit makes a melee attack before attack dice are rolled. This attack rolls plus two dice, and hits from rolls of six do not allow defense saves. This unit suffers one wound for each miss. If this is a Stormcrow unit, it may roll its highest attack die value. Okay, this is one of those cards uh, that is just, again, universally good. As long as you can suffer the small cost that you're going to pay, and I really do consider this small, because if you are smart about it, then... It really should be, you should have ways of mitigating this. All right. So this card has synergies across pretty much every unit because rolling more dice, not allowing, you know, saves from rolls of six. Those are all just fantastic effects. But let's talk about some specific units across factions that are really going to make use of this. Um, Stark Sworn Swords. Rolling plus two dice. Hits from rolls of six when they've got critical blow. Do not allow defense saves. And then you're just throwing on there, okay, you've got a cheap five point unit. Um, you charge in there, you get some effects going on, and you know it can be really nice to throw up there. Okay, It's a cheap unit, you don't really care what happens to them, and for the offensive capabilities that this thing throws out, that's crazy. Okay, You could use this on really any of the aggressive guys in the Stark um, arsenal. Like with Berserkers, they already have a lot of dice, this is going to give them more, and hits of 6 don't allow defense saves, but they already have Sundering. But, okay, so let's say they miss a bunch, even though they've, only, they've got a 3 plus to hit. All right, well, they're Berserkers. They probably just got better, okay? Great Axes, more dice. That's great on them as well. Uh, that was not a pun intentionally. Um, Executioner's Fury is not going to benefit from the secondary effect, but if you're using Mighty Cleave, okay, they you know get some rolls of six, then they're going to suffer some, you know, they don't get their defense save. This is going to be a little counterproductive on them as well because uh, Mighty Cleave only triggers on failed defense saves, and this is outright just not letting them get that. So technically a little counterproductive, but again, extra dice and no saves is just extra damage. So you've got some options there. When you come over to the Lannister side of things, oh, Mountainsmen for days on these, okay? Halberdiers are not bad just because of the raw amount of attack dice they roll, but frankly, Mountainsmen and Reckless Strikes, that's where you get your money from. All right. Baratheons, this is going to give you some offensive punch that a lot of your guys are missing. So that's just going to be a generally useful effect for you guys. Your Wardens are, you know, not the strongest when it comes to offense. This is going to help them out a little bit and get them some more of that chip damage in. Sentinels don't really need it. Stag, uh, Stag Knights is going to, are going to benefit from this just because you're throwing this down. And at any point in their attack, it's now going to turn into, you know, rolling nine dice because they maintain that cool seven attack die profile across the entirety of the lifespan. When it comes to neutrals here, you will have some options because, like, this is going to allow you to have your black guard who are going to have a little bit of a punch from it. Not the best, but still it helps. Um, you're going to have your flayed men are going to greatly benefit from this because of their high number of attack dice, three plus to hit, and critical blow built in. You're going to have your Bolton Cutthroats, which are a cheap enough unit where, you know, again, you don't really care what happens to them. And then you have the wealth of the Stormcrow units as well. So even your baseline five-point Stormcrow unit, because they can take an attachment and reduce the cost by one, they're going to become deadly if you set this upright. So you have a five-point Stormcrow unit with a Stormcrow lieutenant in there. That means baseline, they're throwing eight dice with Sundering for a five-point unit. Uh, you throw this card on there, and they're throwing ten dice with Sundering, and rolls of six don't allow defense saves. And if they start taking wounds from it, 
okay, who cares? They're a five-point unit. They also get the secondary benefit here, since they're innately Stormcrow, that they get to roll their highest value attack dice. That means at any point in that unit's lifespan, they're going to be, assuming that combo sets up and everything, throwing out ten dice. Okay? Super nasty. So, you know, that's, again, just another benefit here. Now, uh, something I didn't really touch on is that Dario is going to give you the affiliation Stormcrow. So if you stick him in a unit as well, you're going to get that extra benefit. So I'm actually going to retrack something I said before about Starks. That actually is a decent little combo if you have Berserkers because he allows you to roll your highest attack die value, which means that you're pitching 10 dice. The plus here is going to be throwing two dice, which means you're throwing 12 dice with hits from six and allowing defense saves. Okay, so that's actually a super nasty combo here if you want to make that investment. Frankly, I think it's a nice combo. I don't necessarily know if it's where I would want to invest uh, if I'm running Dario as my start commander. Um, but it's not a bad option. I mean, so Umber Berserkers are going to benefit from that. Stark Sworn Swords, I still feel, benefit the most from you know stacking all of this right here. So that's probably where I would stick them as well, given the current unit options that are out there. And that is kind of touching up on Dario himself um, as your options there. So I guess the last thing to cover here is we're going to be looking at the various attachments uh, that are just going to be available in this box. And I said earlier that we're going to talk about Bra and Brienne, but I don't want to just go over those in too much staggering depth because I've talked about them before. And again, they've been out. So, you know, I don't want to focus a lot of time. Let's just go over them and give you some general thoughts. Bra on the cell sword here. Uh, extra incentive. While you control the well zone, the unit attack, the unit gains plus one um, to its movement, rolls plus two attack dice, and gains two to morale test rolls. This guy's good generically if you're in an army that wants to take the money bags. So, you know, Night's Watch is going to be another option. Lannisters, it's going to be a good option. Plus one speed, plus two attack dice, plus two morale test rolls. There's not a damn unit in the game that doesn't benefit from every single one of those things. Okay? Brienne, uh, made, uh, made of Tarth. Knightly Vow. Before deployment, select one enemy unit. Until the end of the game, this unit's melee attacks gain plus one to hit and roll plus two dice against that enemy. This is a fantastic deterrent effect just because you're going to mark a unit and they're going to keep it as far as they can away from Brienne. So this can be used primarily for board control, not to ignore the fact that she will absolutely just wreck a unit uh, that she has marked with this. But I think that a lot of her value also comes from just being a neutral guy who can give stalwart unit gains plus two to morale test rolls to a lot of guys in your army. I mean, there's few units in the game that can't benefit from plus two. And frankly, if you're running pure neutrals, a lot of your guys kind of have crap morale anyway, because they're just not very loyal. This is going to help mitigate that. Okay, she is probably going to be, I would think, the least taken in, well... This is really one of those units that's going to come down to the individual list that you built versus specifically the faction that you were playing. Because my gut would tell me that, okay, she's going to see the least amount of play in Starks because they're going to make the least use of the morale buff. But that combat buff of Knightly Vow, like, if you run that in, you know, like a Brendan Tully just kind of grind army, that gets super nasty. And then a lot of his effects are going to function off of just passing morale tests. So it's going to benefit there as well. Um, an Eddard army that you're just going to have a bunch of these like super nasty units. Or even like a Rob army that's going to give you the maneuverability to really get where you need to go. Hey, maybe even a Stark army led by Dario for some movement shenanigans to get those knightly value units out in position. Again, she is just... It's very hard to say that one faction can make use of her over another. Because it's really going to be which commanders 
can make better use of her over another. Lannisters, you're going to get the benefit from the morale. The knightly vow part, not too much because you're just... You don't have a lot of ways to really get where you need to. Baratheons, she is giving you a full just gut of everything that you want. She's giving you additional uh, to hit, extra attack dice. The stalwart is nice. Again, depending on the army you're playing, you can really start getting those saves up. Uh, Night's Watch, well, the thing about Night's Watch, okay, she could be taken in that army, but you have effects scattered across your units and tactics cards and commanders and all that that basically kind of work the same as, you know, a lot of things she's bringing to the table. With the minor exception of actually Stalwart, because Night's Watch don't have a lot of ways to increase their morale. So this is going to give you one of those. So again, this is just what I'm saying. That it's really hard to just kind of place her as like, oh, well, obviously she goes with this army. It's, it's really going to matter your commander and what um, kind of gaps you're trying to fill. So that's, that's really how that's going to play out. All right, next up, we are going to move on to the attachment version of Vargo Hoet, the Crippler. Three points. That's going to give your unit Vicious, where minus two to Panic Test, and we can Resolve. A little wombo combo here, where when an enemy engaged this unit fails to Panic Test, that enemy becomes weakened. I really, really like this guy. I mean, I don't mean to play favorites, but this might be my favorite card in the box. I know I talked about Tycho earlier, but I just really like what this guy brings, because he just brings so much utility to a unit that is almost independent of anything else that you can stick in your army. You can just stick him in a unit, and that unit now does something cool and nasty that, you know, if you make proper use of, can really be a problem for your opponent. Um, I really, I, honestly, I could do an like, entire just podcast talk, gushing over like the different units that just he could go into. But I'm going to give you a quick list of just some units cross-faction, okay? I'm going to give two units per faction, and that's where we're going to go with, okay? Um, first one, Starks. This guy here, we can go ahead and just throw him into some Sworn Swords. If you want a cheap unit, bumps them up to seven points. But now they've got Critical Blow, they've got Vicious, and they can make the opponent weakened. This is going to help you mitigate some of that uh, blowback that you're going to have from potentially you know, dealing yourself wounds from Stark Fury. Second unit, though, you can look at some Tully Sworn Shields, and that's a, just a stupid, nasty unit to stick this guy into. They're going to gain Vicious, which they already have a good attack profile, but they just don't have any cool special abilities. So now they actually are a threat when they attack. And then they're going to cause weakened resolve, where the opponents can become weakened. The so the the attacker is going to be weakened, and they're going to you're going to be blocking D3 hits from their shield wall ability. That unit is so nasty and hard to deal with. I mean, I just don't even want to think about like the things you're going to have to do to get over that. Moving over to Lannisters. I mean, I stick this guy in Halberdiers. Okay, they're going to charge into you. You're going to potentially hit them with a Sundering Vicious attack that's rolling a ton of dice. And you're going to be potentially triggering Weakened Resolve to make them weaken, so their attacks can be just that much ineffective against you when they actually charge in. Man, everything about that situation I just love. Um, the other unit you can stick them in there as well. Let's say uh, it's a toss-up there because Guardsmen are cheap, but I'm going to have to give it to Mountainsmen just because... Oh, no, no, no. What, what am I saying? That's a terrible investment. Sorry. Had a moment there. Um, actually, sticking him in with... <laughs> okay, I already named my one unit of Halberdiers. The next unit is actually going to be Warrior Sons because then you're going to give them an expensive unit. I'll note that as well. But you're going to give them Vicious, which is going to give them some extra offensive punts 
punch and they're going to be able to you know cause the opponent to become weakened there as well it's a nice little combo there it's expensive frankly with the warrior sons i would probably opt for bears and sell me if i'm going for three point attachments but hey it's still a neat thing to see other than that okay let's give a half point here throw it out to just some lannister guardsmen this is actually going to give them some offensive potential for not too much of an investment here. It's going to make them a little expensive, but they're going to gain Vicious. I mean, that's something. And then potentially make the opponent weakened, which gives them a higher chance to survive at their 3-plus save and gives them a better chance to trigger Lannister Supremacy by not taking any wounds because the opponent's you know weakened and you're combining that with 3-plus. When we go over to neutrals, this guy fits in damn near everything. So you can stick him into some Bastards Girls to give them Vicious on their melee attacks and make the enemy weakened to give them a little bit more staying power. That's fine. Um, you can stick... Oh, right, two units. Crap. Okay, next one. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say that he will fit in well if also the Stormcrow Mercenaries because they're going to reduce the cost of detachment by one, bumping them up to seven points, giving them a kind of okay attack profile, but hell, they're going to have Vicious and you know potentially throw out Weakened, which a lot of... So obviously, if you're running him as the attachment, you're not running him as commander, but several other neutral commanders can make use of, and the Vicious doesn't hurt either because you're pairing him with some Boltons. Opponents failing panic test is something nasty to have happen, so something to consider. Baratheons. Okay, this guy can just sit in a cheap warden bunker, and boom, there you go. You have some guys who are, you have a weekend token generator to help getting their vulnerable weekend kind of engine running. You're going to give their attacks vicious, so they actually have some offensive punch. And then my next pick for him would be Stagnites. Yeah, you're going to have an, an expensive unit, but hell, you're going to have Vicious combined with everything else they have, and then the potential to make the opponent weakened, which is going to up their survivability, which they've got a 4-plus save, which is strictly average across the board, but, you know, it's only average, so that's something you have to live with there. But this is going to cover a lot of the gaps in that unit as well, so you've got their options. Next, we are going to have Dario Naharez's attachment version. Um, the Reckless Mercenary. He only has a single order, which is Reckless Strikes, when this unit makes a melee attack before attack dice are rolled. The attack rolls plus two dice, hits and rolls a six, do not have defense saves. He suffers one wound for each miss. This is a pocket version of his tactics card that you have that you're sticking on a very specific unit. This is another one of those benefits that, as long as you really don't care about the unit you're attaching it to too much, is almost universally good across the board, as long as you're offensive focused. So like Lannister Mountain Armies, the entirety of the Sarks, um, Baratheons, you're going to like that because that's going to give you some offensive punch. Night's Watch, congrats guys, you got some Sworn Boys who are going to you know get your plus two dice and with their critical blow not allowed to defend saves. And you know yeah you're going to suffer wounds, but hell let's be honest, like 60% of you, which is down significantly from what it was, are probably still running Jon Snow as your commander, so you're going to have healing capabilities, right? So you've got options here. Dario is just another one of those solid options that you know most armies can benefit from, as long as you're smart about it. I mean, you can stick him into an expensive unit that you've got ways of keeping alive with sustainability or just being generally hard to kill. Or you can stick him in a cheap unit that you just kamikaze at something, like sticking him in a unit of Bolton Cutthroats and just going, I'm going to go kill those guys. Hell, do it. I mean, you know, as long as you're making your points back, but it's going to be just a nasty unit that no one's going to want to come across. Last attachment, sort of, we have to talk about is Jakin Hagar, the unnamed. Order, taking a new name, once per game at the start of any turn. Replace Jakin with one previously destroyed infantry attachment, friendly or enemy. This guy is a little situational. I wouldn't run him just to throw him in any army. Really, the key place that you are going to want to run him is in armies, and I actually run him defensively, where you're going to want to keep your commander alive. I think that he is best friends in the world with Eddard Stark. You can see my uh, fan fiction on those two. 
Um, don't worry, it's PG. Uh, 13. Um, because you've got those commanders that if they die, it can be a major blow to your army. Well, if Joaquin here, you've got a backup plan. Eddard is probably the prime example there, because if he dies, a lot of your cool stuff shuts off. Well, luckily, Eddard wasn't really dead. Joaquin is actually back alive. Renly Baratheon is another one of those where, you know, you've got some commanders. Roderick Cassiel, another one. Well, lesser on Roderick. But you've got commanders that really benefit from being their little R around here. And as more of those come out, those are the guys who are going to run Jakan. Jakin. Hagar. Unnamed. Big H. Big J. Whatever you want. You know, whatever you want to nickname him. Okay. Um, he is going to find a place in those armies. I really think that if you're running him in other armies, that like, okay, he's kind of a backup plan, but I feel that that's your best play there is for those. If you have a lot of expensive attachments, he does kind of act as a little mini safety net in case you run into those. Like say you're running the three point, um, you know, Lord Tywin's mad dog version of the mountain or someone else who's a similar investment. You can be a little reckless with them because if they get killed, then, you know, Jekin can just like pop into that existence. I do like sticking him in, you know, Stormcrow mercenaries because they're generic enough. The problem is like they become super generic. <laughs> Um, when you stick Jaqueline in there, because they literally don't do anything special until someone dies. So because of the two-list tournament format, he's actually, like, that's where I think a lot of his, uh, his use will shine. If you're playing against, if you see your opponent has, like, two lists, that's like, oh, man, there's a bunch of attachments in here that's just ripe and juicy for the pickings. Then, you know, you can go and put pull out your Jaqueline list. But otherwise, I think you're going to see a lot of his play coming into lists that have a strong focus on their field commander staying alive and this also helps with the 1.4 game mode updates where having your field commander alive nets you extra victory points he is going to act as a safety net where in case you know your guy gets hit early or gets killed somehow then you can just pop him back into play and still have means of claiming those points whereas you know in other options you're not he also has his secondary version, which is a Stark exclusive. So it's kind of a little weird to talk about that. I mean, I guess it's in the box, so it counts, right? So we'll just kind of wrap up with speaking about that. We have the Mysterious Prisoner, which can only be taken in an army that includes Arya Stark the Wolf Girl. But his effect is a name ode. This model is always the last model destroyed from this unit. Uh, I want to cover this part, by the way, since it's been asked and whatnot. But that is functionally reminder text, okay? It doesn't supersede any other effects you know so if you stick him in a unit with another model that has that that's reminder text because all attachments have that rule he doesn't supersede that somehow and like die before anyone else that is determined by model placement and yeah probably shouldn't say that but that was keeping concentric wording from older initial releases and yes we'll probably need to be faq'd and whatnot blah 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 anything i say on this podcast is also technically unofficial please see the official errata and faq documents or forums for official answers to your questions if you ever cite me as a well he said this on a podcast then immediately please lose that argument because i've said before it's unofficial uh there you go that's my disclaimer there you go anyway back to him so Model is always the last model destroyed from this unit. When this unit is destroyed, your opponent may select one of your friendly in attachments or NCUs and kill him. Why would I ever run this guy? Well, that's because you didn't read the text on the other side of the card where at the start of the game, he is attached to an enemy infantry unit. So that means that basically you stick him in a unit. That unit becomes a target for your army and a huge liability for the opponent, where if you manage to take out that unit, you are going to kill one of their other attachments or one of their NCUs. This can create a big shift in gameplay. 
because not only are you killing one of their units, but you are potentially killing one of their NCUs or their attachments. Now, in previous uh, versions of the game, like 1.3 and earlier, it would be like a no-brainer. I'm always going to kill an NCU because why wouldn't I do that? But now the fact that you know you have options where attachment commanders are important to have on the battlefield because they can score extra points from scenarios where you're going to have some cheaper attachments being taken and you're going to have some super nasty attachments that are coming out and everything, including everything we just talked about, then, you know, it's not so much a cut and dry choice. So that's something to note. Just keep your options open because, yeah, it's always tempting to kill an NCU because that's going to take an activation away and also NCUs are, you know, godlike figures that are untouchable by any means for now. Uh, there are going to be... You know, I know it's the, the allure of taking them out is there, but you really need to stop and think tactically, is that the best play? I mean, that can be said of anything, but I mean, I really want you to give it a deep dive when it comes to this. Of course, this is a problem only for Starks. I mean, the rest of you guys, you don't even get this cool option because you're not cool like Arya is and everything. Book Arya, by the way. Uh, nope, 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 I'm not going to talk about anything on the show. Nope, not even going to touch that can of worms. Anyway, so yeah, Starks, you got a little surprise in this box here for you. And with that, that's going to kind of wrap up our look at the Neutral Heroes box here and everything that is included inside. Hopefully this has given you a little bit of insight as to, you know, just some different options and tactical availability that you've seen. Or if, you know, you've just seen this box and you've been afraid to tackle it and it's just like, holy crap, there's so many new options here. Well, that's true. Uh, this has given you some thoughts and ideas to how to run these guys. Again, this has been one of my, like, most looked after and you know, excited releases that I feel is coming out in a while. And it's going to be really hard to top this until, let's see, today is the 12th that I'm recording and posting this. You know, until Baratheons come out shortly, and then also next month when uh, things get really fun. So in the meantime, I'll leave you with that. And until next time, uh, have some fun out there. Hope to see more neutral armies. And remember, true neutral is the way to go. Bye.